Well, good morning. And if we can turn to the book of Titus, we'll be looking at that this morning. My, uh, I'm ready for the warm weather to come. I'm ready for spring to hit. So I've worn my bright colored shirt here for you. I've gotten several compliments, criticisms. They got to put on their sunglasses, whatever it is, but I'm hoping Easter will hurry up and get here in spring and, and we'll uh, get the warm weather. I'm tired of the cold, but um, some of you probably disagree like Justin. Yeah. Um, I spoke at uh, Zion and my portion of sharing there was Titus chapter 2 and I really enjoyed the study and looking at it and so forth. So I figured I'd build on it and, and bring it uh, this morning to continue looking at the, the book of Titus and more so looking and looking at just chapter 2, I want to tie in a little bit more of the whole book and I'll look at some brief sections in, in chapter 1 and then we'll look a little bit more in chapter 2 and mainly with dealing with the establishment of eldership and the responsibility of all believers, uh, of dealing with contentious people, dealing with people that, that, that bring strife and, and, um, and uh, so forth into the assembly or people that, that disagree. And there's a role that the elders must play and there's a role, to, there's a role that the, the people must play as well, the believers, the Christians within the assembly. And... Um, and the scripture isn't short in explaining that people that come in that are contentious or have false views or, 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 or they have strivings about stuff, that they need to be stopped. The scriptures are not silent on that. They need to be uh, silenced. And Paul talked about dealing with Judaizers when they would come into the church that he wouldn't put up with them for one second. He would stop them. And the reality of a New Testament church and any church is that Satan seeks to sow seeds of discord amongst us to separate us and to uh, try and divide the body of Christ, to try to sow those seeds of discord. And unfortunately, there's people that are unbelievers that come in for selfish motives or whatever it might be, and they might come in to try to sow discord, to try to gain fame, the scriptures talk about, to try to gain a financial gain, or there might be some sort of motive behind them. As well as there's other believers that are in the local church that they just get hobby horses. They get stuff that they just can't settle on. And then they try to get this person to join them and this person. And you've probably met those people. It's like they were to play the drum. They have one beat and they play it to death. And they just keep playing it um, and, and so forth. So they're having this problem in Crete. And there's a reason why Titus is left behind. The Apostle Paul is going to address it. But... I want to go farther than just addressing this, but, but what we got to do as he says, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. And what he's actually talking about is that once these guys have been stopped, you got to speak. And this word speak there is not so much the idea of preaching, but it's one-on-one -on -one speaking. And he's going to list off a relationship of older men to younger men, older women to younger women, and to teach, and to go on and teach sound doctrine, and to... Um, invest in each other's life in the discipleship type aspects of it. And in verse 15 of chapter 2, he says, Speaks these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. Let's, let's look to the Lord in prayer real quick. Our gracious God and Father, we just pray as we open up this, uh, this letter to Titus. Father, as the Apostle Paul has written to him, that there's so much here to glean. And we pray that the Spirit of God will guide our thoughts 
our conversation this morning of what is said that will be of the Spirit and, um, and to seek out what you would have us to learn and to take away from this. We just pray and ask your Spirit to lead and guide us. In the name of Lord Jesus we pray. Amen. Titus chapter 1 and verse 1 says this, starting reading there. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and an acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which has committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Now we're not going to look at this verse by verse, word by word, but understand the introduction here and what he's telling Titus in his, his initial greeting is... Uh, is he's talking about verse 2, the hope and eternal life in which God, who cannot lie beforehand, uh, promised beforehand. And in verse 3, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching. Now notice the, the word of God in which he's talking about here. It's the proclamation of the gospel, and it's the proclamation of his word, and why we gather together here on Sundays, and we have speaking both morning and evening and so forth because we want to proclaim the word of God and teach it from what the scriptures uh, say it is. It's an important aspect and this is the manifestation. This is how we make known the word of God is that we should as elders we sit down and discuss and we're trying to get more of this is that we should deliver the whole counsel of God when we come together. And no, we're not going to do it on one Sunday, but over a period of time and through the, the, the leading of the Spirit of God is that we pre preach the Word of God. We make known the Word of God. We make known to you the counsel of God. And you'll get well-rounded in the Scriptures to be able to understand it. And this is the responsibility that Titus has to continue to do here is to preach, to teach, to exhort, to rebuke with all authority, and to proclaim that Scriptures in which settles our soul and leads us in the way of righteousness. So here he's saying he's preaching, but look at what he says. He says, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So this preaching in which he's preaching is not man's thoughts. This isn't man's ideas. This is not um, something that he came up with on his own. The Apostle Paul is saying, I'm so intelligent, I want to pass on this information to you. He's saying, what I am, what you are to preach, and what I have preached is the commandments of God our Savior, which he has committed to me. So basically, you have the Apostle Paul, who's an, an apostle, a sent out one of Jesus Christ. He's the 13th one that, that, that is recognized. And, uh, well, you'd actually say 14th, because you had Judas that fell, and then they, they appointed Matthias, and then you go on. And, and, but he was one born out of due time, a recognized apostle, because he met with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus actually instructed him and taught him in the ways. So he received his commandment straight from the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and that is what he teaches. Now drop down to verse 5. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Now take that word commandment of verse 3, where Paul is given the commandment from God, 
And now you go to Paul, who's commanding Titus, and what is he commanding? He's commanding Titus to go forth and do something and to preach things that was set, that was given to him by God, our Savior himself. And one of the things here in which he's instructing him to do is that in Crete, they went through and they saw assemblies established. They saw the New Testament churches that were planted. But what ends up happening with time is, and we know with Apostle Paul as he goes through, he'd always have legalizers coming behind him, or he'd have other people that rise up in the assembly and try to take uh, the preeminence amongst the saints and, and so forth. So what his solution to that is there was something lacking that was within these local churches. And the lacking was the appointment of elders. So he left Titus there. He says, I want you to go back and and we, we saw these assemblies established. This is, this is in the infancy of the church. This is in the beginning. You see that the, the church is starting to develop and so forth. So now what the Apostle Paul says, as the church matures, a mature assembly will have elders established. Not the opposite. Not of where we go the opposite direction to where we say we don't need elders because we think we can function on our own, but... God has ordained through the Apostle Paul that the leadership within the local assembly is eldership. It's plurality. And that's why I brought up the importance of the commandment of God our Savior that he received, Paul, to now he's commanding Titus to appoint elders because this is something that God has established within the local church. You see, a local church is not a democracy. This is not a place where we all come together and we get together and, and everyone expresses what they like to see the assembly act like and do and everything else. But it is a theocracy where God is in charge and we take our direction from Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is the head of the church. We are the body. And what God has chosen to do and to give the saints um, comfort and to establish a standard here is that he's established elders for which the assembly can come and bring their issues, bring their problems, to settle disputes, to settle stuff that is going on. And who does God hold accountable for the assembly? The elders. The elders here are the under shepherds, and we are accountable for what goes on within this local assembly, for the decisions that are made, for everything. And we take it serious, and we pray, and the, the best thing I ever heard someone give a description of elders is it's a discerning body of leadership. And our, our job is not to come and say, look, I'm smart enough to understand what you all need, because you guys would be, we'd be hurting really bad. And one thing we constantly, and I'm just letting you into our elders meeting and our prayers, one thing that we constantly pray is we are inadequate. We don't have all the answers. Lord, we are dependent upon you. Lead and guide us in our decisions. Lead and guide us in our, in our ways. And, and it's not a, a, a vote within the eldership. It's not that we get together and, and we got three votes, yay, two votes, nay, and say, okay, we're going to go forward with this because we have the, the electoral votes and, and it must be the will of God. No, it's not the way it works at all. It's either all five are in agreement, and the Spirit of God brings in unity, and the like minds are we hold off. You wait. You wait on the Lord. You wait for him to lead and guide and discern in certain matters. Um, 
And this was something that was lacking in these assemblies that they were planted, is that there was no leadership that was established to stop the quarrels, to stop the insubordinates, to stop the idle talkers, to stop people that were ultimately causing individuals to uh, fall away in the faith. See, what ends up happening is if there's no leadership, then everyone begins to do what's right in their own eyes. And we saw this in the book of Judges. And we, we see it where the leaders, whenever a king doesn't rise up, what does the nation of, of Israel or Judah do? do? They do what's right in their own eyes. They do what they want. And God has established the independency of each local body, the autonomy of the local body, that each church is accountable to ourselves and to the Lord and not to the church down the street. And we've discussed this many times. You know, you go to another church down the street and we have fellowship and there's a wide circle of fellowship and we love to interact with the other Christians. But when we come to our local body, we've got to draw this tight circle of what we believe the scriptures teach and what our conviction is. And we follow by this tight circle here. And sometimes you might not agree with what that tight circle is, but what we say is, okay, we're not saying you have to get yourself in line with everything we believe and hold here, but you're not going to teach in contrary to it. You're not going to go and, and promote uh, um, division and, um, and create problems. We, I've given the example many times, but there was uh, um, an assembly in Cedar Rapids we attended for a short period of time, and when we came in, we walked into a hornet's nest. And we had no idea. We had just moved down there. We didn't know the Christians. We, we looked up. There's an assembly there. We joined in. And meanwhile, one of the reasons why we went there is Amy's aunt had attended there for years, Aunt Rhonda. So we went with her. And at one point, it was a healthy, thriving assembly in Cedar Rapids. And we came in. Everyone's telling us there's been people leaving left and right. I'm like, what's going on here? There was a particular group that came in, and these, this particular group was, was very pro-homeschooling. In fact, it wasn't just like, hey, this is what I'm going to do for my kids, is I'm going to homeschool. It was anyone that's not homeschooling their children is living in sin. Anyone that's not functioning like we're functioning is living in sin. And they wanted this assembly to take a homeschooling stance. So what did that mean? Now you have families that are going to public school. Some are going to Christian school. Some are going here. And all of a sudden, this division starts. And every chance you get in any type of meeting, this, this topic comes up. And they, they begin to hammer it. And, and, and this group, anytime they'd have an open mic session, which we're not in favor of here, is you'd open up this mic, and the first person to run up is the boldest, the loudest. person wants to talk. He goes to the mic, and he starts preaching out how if you're not homeschooling your children, you're really living in sin and so forth. So they dwindled in numbers. So we come in, and, and, and obviously you got both sides approaching us, and we're like, where are the elders in this? There was two elders that basically stayed neutral, that allowed for this contention to rise, that allowed for uh, uh, this division to occur within the local assembly. And instead of squashing it, they let it fester, and now you end up with different sides, and now you end up with it dwindling apart to where you have numerous families that have left, to even my aunt finally left there. We ended up moving away uh, back to California here. 
It was sad. It was a very sad thing that, that this idle talk, this, this, this discussion shouldn't have even been on the table within the lo this local church. It should have been squashed from the get-go. We're not taking a stance. If your conviction is to homeschool, then by all means, we support you to do it. If your conviction is to public schools, by all means, go and do it. If your conviction is Christian schools, private schools, go on and do it. Just put Christ in the, in the, the middle of your, your family and in the kids' lives and go forward. But they didn't happen, and this is what happens is when people come in with their ideas and their, their, their ideology and everything else, or even people that you've known for years, and they come in and, and, and they start speaking out against the elders, they start speaking out against stuff. I had one guy many years ago uh, in the parking lot out here. Um, this was many years ago when Don Thompson and Henry Kamina, a lot of these guys were here. Um, so I know some of you probably don't know these men, but... He started in the parking lot, blasting these guys. Ah, oh, they're this and that. They're not doing this. They're not qualified for eldership. Time out. Time out. No, we don't bring accusation against elders. You had a problem with them, sir? I'm not going to give you his name. He's gone. He left a long time ago. Um, but you got a problem? Let's take it to the eldership and let's discuss it. They're right inside the building. Let's go. No, no, I, uh, off he, he, he took off. No, come on, let's go. I briefed the elders briefly on it. They were aware of the situation and so forth. But you see how uh, not only do you have the responsibility of the elders to stop it, and we're going to look at it, but you have the responsibility of the Christians to say, no, we stop it as well. Let's not let this word fester and go on. Let's not engage in this activity and so forth. So you see they were lacking in, a, in, in this area of setting that standard to stop these guys. Now, turn over to verse 9. I'm not going to go over the qualifications of elders. You guys can look at that. But one of the last things, it says, verse 9, it says, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. And it's speaking the, the, the qualification of an elder. For, that word for is pointing back into the previous section there, of what was lacking in the qualifications of the elder in verse 9. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially of those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. So here they have this young church. They have no one to stop these insubordinate, no one to stop these idle talkers. No one to stop these legalizers that are coming in and placing the law upon them. No one to stop these people. So this is, I believe, the elder's responsibility. The overseer's responsibility is to stop this. This is cancerous. This causes an assembly to cease from growing and sin to get in. And actually, a little leaven leavens the whole lump is in Galatians there. Uh, chapter 5, that's referring to legalism that enters into that assembly and spread like, like cancer. And look at the results of it here. Who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of the, 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 the tactics of, of many in the past and so forth, of especially William McDonald brought to light of, of, of the cults and so forth, is to get inside your house to separate you out from the, the main body of Christ, to get
get you and to gain your ear and your hearing aside from any other influence. And one of the tactics they do here and why they subvert whole households is, is these guys don't go to the main assembly and express their viewpoints there because they know as a totality the elders would stop them and so forth. It's the behind the scenes. It's the going and, and taking people aside and saying, hey, let me tell you something about this. This is really the truth of the scripture. Let me tell you about this. This is really the way that, that you should be doing it. And the idle talkers are, 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 are going about and talking about stuff that is, is just vain and has no godly edification at all, but distractions and so forth. And there's a, there's a, there's a whole atmosphere of contention of uh, nitpicking one another and evil speaking and, and pointing fingers that you're not doing this right and you're not doing that right and I actually know the right way to do it and, and these people are really not qualified. One of the things I've heard probably the most over the past from disgruntled people is they begin to attack the elders first off. And the first thing that I'm going to admit to you is as us elders, we are not perfect and we make mistakes. We're in this for you. We're in here to do everything we can for each and every one of you. We've mentioned before, you can call us 24-7. We'll be there for you. Bring you. We'll meet with you. We'll do whatever we can. But does this assembly need... Do, can we improve? Can we do stuff better? Can we, as a body of Christ, function in a more godly, a more pure way? And, and, and absolutely we can. Can we love each other more? Yeah. Can we serve each other more? Yeah, there's a lot of things we can do more. We want to get there. We want to keep going forward in aspects. And it's a tough hat for us to wear that. Many of us, uh, you got Russ, David, and myself, we all have full-time jobs we're working. And within those full-time jobs, we got families we're taking care of. And within those families, now we got our normal assembly function to take care of. And within on top of that, we have our eldership responsibilities. So I'm not getting to watch golf on the weekends. It's a joke in my house, but um, <laughs> or play golf, I should say. No, I get to play. But you, you get what I'm saying. We, we'll give you everything we can, but we, we got mistakes. And the first thing we're going to tell you when you, you approach us is, yeah, we make mistakes. We, we have our issues. We have, we're, we're just people. But we are committed to serving you and establishing within this assembly the principles of the word of God and seeing those principles played out in a day-by-day -day activity. And our job is to stand between the wolves and the sheep and to stop the mouths that must be stopped and to make sure that we don't get major divisions and, and so forth of stuff coming in, to make sure that, that uh, people are not, whole households aren't, taken away, and we know as well, and Timothy addresses the same issue. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 6, 4 says this, For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. And then there's certain people that come into church that either they're false teachers or they've just been taught a false way or they just love to have the preeminence like Diotrephes, or they, they, there's something within them that they just want the fame, the popularity, and they come in and try to take over meetings. We had one guy that came in many years ago. Um, he was very anxious to, to, to teach, to be involved in everything, get his hands in everything he could. 
And it was weird. It, it, was, it was a thing where all the men kind of went, there's something not right here. There's just something, you just didn't have peace about it. But you can't always put your finger right on the issue. Well, this individual didn't get what he wanted. And he ended up moving out of state to another church. So, Lord bless him. Nice guy. He got along with him good. Um, years later, uh, someone ran into someone, and he was attending an assembly back there. And they said, this guy came in. And he took over, and he devastated our assembly. They said we, we went from several people there to people started leaving to now we dwindle down. And then what happens with once it, it dwindles down? Off he goes. We had another brother that wanted to meet out here and um, was looking at coming. And uh, he sat down with a couple of us, and as we said, look, man, we're – don't bring your past, your legalism, your, 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 your other stuff of your place into us. We don't want the contentions. We don't want all this other stuff. And then what we do as elders here is, is, is we, if someone's looking to come into fellowship, we want to meet with you. We want to know who you are, your testimony. We want to see your background and, and who's going to come into these doors. Who's going to have access to the, the sheep here and so forth. And one individual, as uh, we did our, our homework and our background, we called their local assembly. We call elders there. We talk to them. And all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, this guy, he's a contentious brother. He's having problems here. We had to stop him from speaking. We're like, okay, um, all right. And, and there's this issue and that issue. And then you, you start getting the history. And he's gone from assembly to assembly to assembly. He can't play well in the sandbox with everybody. And he causes contention with everyone. And then all of a sudden, it's like he's going to New Turk because he can't build anything on his own. He wants to glom on to something else that's already established and gain hearers for himself. So one of our elders here sat down with them. I was very blunt with them and so forth. And uh, later on we hear, oh, I don't want to come there. I'm done. And I'm looking to go somewhere else. So um, this is what happens. People come in. So you have these individuals that are in the assembly. And we're not going to get, oh, we'll try to get chapter 2. So you have these people that are in the assemblies, and their mouths must be stopped. And notice right here, he doesn't say stop their mouths and kick them out of the assembly. He didn't say that. He says stop them. And then what you got to do is work with them and correct them so that, in verse 16, they profess to know God, but their works they deny him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualifying every good work. So you identify who they are, but you got to work with them and show them the truth. That was verse 13. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. And the idea of rebuking them, and he's going into chapter, in verse 12 of what he's talking about these, these people are, these Cretans, but is to stand before them, rebuke them, that they will correct their views, correct their behavior, correct how they're conducting themselves, and then come into the meeting and start meeting appropriately and be sound in the faith. Now, so what happens if they keep on talking? What happens if the first admonition isn't taking effect? Paul's going to continue on. Look at chapter 3. Look at verse 8. It says this. This is a faithful saying and the things I want to confirm constantly that those who believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Look at verse 9. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, 
and strivings about the law, for they are, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped in sinning, being self-condemned. So here you have an individual, might be multiple individuals that are coming in, and they're teaching a certain thing that's contrary to sound doctrine, contrary to the, the beliefs of the local assembly. And what ends up happening is the elders' responsibility is to come alongside of them and say, stop. We've got to silence them. You have to stop. You can't, we can't hide our heads in the sand. We can't just sweep the stuff under the carpet. You stop it because what will happen is it'll be like cancer and they'll begin to spread and spread. And then next thing you know, it'll overtake the whole body. So you stop it there. And if these individuals continue to be contentious, continue to promote their views, continue to, to strive about um, with this stuff, you imply verse 10, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. So you've talked to them. You've talked to them again, and they're not getting it. They're continuing on. At that such point, then they're put out of fellowship within the local assembly. And what you not only reject them, but you put him out of fellowship, that this individual is no longer experiencing the blessings and the joy of the local Christians, and they've been put over here isolated, alone from everyone, so that they, God can deal with them in their isolation and to show them their, their manner of error so that they can repent and come back. Paul would describe this as deliver such a one over to, over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Matthew 18 would talk about it, that you put someone out of the fellowship away and you treat them like a, a, a heathen, a tax collector, a sinner. And this is the most loving thing you can do because these people, in their isolation, they need to realize that they are not fulfilling the will of God, that they're not being led by the Spirit of God. They're causing problems and, and, and contentions and so forth. Their pride has risen up to a level that it needs to be dealt with. And when we put them aside, you put them out of fellowship, that isolation of no one else talking to them will bring them to a, a place of repentance that should. It worked beautifully on the guy in 1 Corinthians 5. By 2 Corinthians chapter 1, they're like, okay, guys, no longer cut him off. Bring him back in amongst you because it's going to be too much. This guy can't bear it. Bring him back in. Put your loving arms back around him. He's repented. Receive him back in and so forth. What I've seen in the past and sometimes you see is that individuals think that the loving thing to do is to go ahead and let me reach out to them and still fellowship with them a little bit. I believe my personal conviction is you're actually going against the will of God in their life and you're actually disobeying the scriptures because God has them in this isolation. God's dealing with them in his alone time. And if any of you know, alone time is a great place to be with when God wants to deal with you. Russ experienced this this weekend when uh, he was working on a vehicle and uh, he tore it apart and, Lord, where are you? What are you doing? He has no one to help him, right? He's all alone. And uh, he can tell you the story, but he was sharing with me this morning. But I thought that was a perfect example of being alone. He's trying to fix this vehicle and it's like watching YouTube, reading this, reading that, and it's like you get, you get in so far, you're like, well, what have I gotten into? Why did I? I would, I would take out... 10 grand house on pay. Why did I even do this? So he fixed it, and he's a mechanic. Take your stuff to him. <laughs> but, uh, see how it works yeah. 
So he worked on that the past two days. But he's like, you Lord, you're testing my faith. So, but the idea behind it is that when you're alone, God can deal with you. And he, he, can, he can correct you. And, and when we go and we reach out to individuals that are under discipline and so forth, and we go and undermine the, 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 the work of the Lord in the assembly of discipline, then we're actually thwarting the will of God and, and doing damage to that person because now he's like, oh, I still got hearers. I still got these people to talk to. Our, our, our goal in doing this is if they're a true believer that they will repent and we bask them in prayers that they would repent and come back and reconcile. This is the ideal behind it. We can go to a lot of other verses such as in Timothy and, 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 and he talks about withdrawing from people that are like this. Putting them away. It, it, there's, it's not always this idea of Christian love or where we put our arms around everyone and accept you no matter what. That's the unbeliever we do. But when it comes to the church, when it comes to believers not acting according to the, 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 the word of God, there's a disciplinary process that has to take place. We have to judge sin. We have to put away the evil person. And sometimes it's friends. Sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's people that, that you care about. And it should be about everyone you care about. It's never an easy thing to do, but the scriptures demand it because what ends up happening, if it's not, you start seeing people in the faith stumbling and, and struggling, and then they begin to leave, and they, 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 they go out, they go out um, other places and so forth. So we see that they need to be stopped. If they're not going to stop, then we need to deal with them and reject them as a divisive man. This, this is translated in the uh, uh, King James Version as... Uh, um, a heretic, and a heretic means, in the original, is one that is divisive, one that, that is creating a schism within the body of Christ. And over the, the course of church history, it's been developed as a heretic, as a false teachers, and so forth, in the overall bigger picture of the word. But the actual word here that's translated in the New King James, the divisive man, is that they're, they're causing a schism, they're causing some kind of division. Martin Luther was considered a heretic. By the Catholic Church. Was he right? Absolutely he was right. He was absolutely right. When he came out and said justifications by faith alone, you know, that, that we follow by the scriptures alone, that salvation is by grace alone, the Catholic Church didn't like that. And so they labeled him a heretic and put him out because he was causing division. He was causing a schism within that, that local church. But then you got the, the Protestant Reformation that takes place and the Lord used that. Bill McDonald says this in his commentary and uh, regarding Titus 3.10. It says, see the, man who majors, see the man who majors on these minors is a divisive heretic. He usually has one note on his violin and plays it to death. Soon he gathers around himself a, a coteria of people with a negative outlook and the rest he drives away. He will divide an assembly rather than abandon his doctrinal hobby horse. No church, should be put, no church should put up with such nonsense. If after one or two warnings he refuses to detest, de desist, he should be expelled from the fellowship of the local church and the Christians should be refrain from having social contact with him. Hopefully this ostracism will bring him to repentance and to a more balanced handling of the word of God. I thought he said that perfectly. So, you have these issues that arise. 
Elders step up, we stop it. Now what takes place? Chapter 2 steps in. But as for you, speak the things, verse 1, which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men being sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, love and patience, the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given too much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not blaspheme. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Evil bondservants be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Look what the grace of God teaches. Teaches us that denying ungodly and, and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. This idea of speak these things in the original has the idea of a present continuance tense. It means keep speaking, keep speaking, continually talking about it, continually teaching sound doctrine. And this is not so much from the pulpit that, that many commentators have, have identified with. It's more speaking in smaller groups and one-on-one. And the idea here is not only are we to stop this stuff and to publicly preach it, but the men and women, the older men, the younger uh, are to teach the younger men, and the older women are to teach the younger women, and to establish this godliness and, and to pour out yourselves in, in, into these other people's lives. It's that relationship that you have, and you have to go about, and we have to undo the false teaching and everything else that was, that was, that was taking place, and now establish the proper teaching. Now encourage people to live in a godly manner. And the first thing that starts off with is the older men, and, and some have identified this more of uh, age rather than maturity in the Christian faith, is that before you come to encourage the younger men, and you notice here that younger men, older men teach younger men, older women teach younger women. It's not the men that come in and teach the women. You know, as elders here, we have issues where there might be women involved. And what we oftentimes will, will do is, number one, we take our wives along with us. We take another woman. The other thing is, is that we'll take the women that are involved, the godly women, and say, look, you go with our, whole, with our authority with our blessings and everything else, and you work with this other woman, this younger woman in the faith. You go and work with her because you're asking for disaster for uh, any time you're going to have a, a man teaching a woman or so forth that are not in a marital relationship. And so you're just asking for disaster, and the Spirit of God keeps that disaster from happening by identifying who should work with who right here. So one of the things that the characteristics is, number one, we've got to have ourselves in order. Before you go and start teaching somebody else, 
He says, older men, you need to be sober. You need to be reverent. You need to be temperate, sound in the faith. You need to be in love and in patience. Likewise, you older women, you need to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not giving too much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. You see, by our actions, by the, how we conduct ourselves, we could cause the word of God to be blasphemed. People will bring accusations against God and his word. So you've got to live according to what the scriptures say. And you've got to invest and disciple the younger men and women. We have to. We've got to teach them so that the younger men and women are, grow up and they become sound in the faith and then the false teachers come along and those other ones, they can stop them and they're not tossed to and fro by their, 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 their doctrine. But they're grounded, they're solid, they're sound. And we've got to bring them along in the faith and, and teach them. He identifies five people here, and that is older women, older, older men, older women, younger women, younger men, and then he goes on to bond servants and so forth, and, and we can apply that to our employment of how you are conduct yourselves um, in, in the workplace and so forth. But I want to get to verse 11. Now, I know I didn't address each one of these, but... Uh, in identifying all the, the different aspects, but look at the characteristics that are there and apply them to your lives. To be sober, to be reverent, to not give in too much wine. And I don't know why it says that of the older women, but um, just say maybe they got to deal with a lot more with the older men. Than, and I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, we'll erase that part from the uh, message. But anyways, but that is an admonition for given to the. Much wine. Um, women, deal with your men in prayer and, uh, and fasting and uh, eating chocolates. But anyways, but there's characteristics that are given here as well as to teach younger women that, that, that the godly example for you is to be a godly woman, to be married, to, to run your house well, to raise godly children, to, to make this home. And God adorns that doctrine of uh, of, of, uh, of being in the home and being that mother and so forth. It has nothing to do with saying women can't have careers or anything else, but, but God, it, our first and fourth responsibility is to our family and to our home life and so forth. My occupation is just an occupation. It's not who I am. I just, I'm a police officer for a paycheck. And I take it serious. I do my job. That, that's not my identity. That's not who I am. That's just what I do for a living. My identity is, is uh, obviously my identity is in Christ and I'm a child of God, but it's also in the home and, and, and being the head of our household and, and being there for my children, being there for my wife, going through all the issues of life and being there and, and raising a godly family. And This is what God adorns. This is what God loves. Um, not being out there chasing the world and, and the pleasures of the world, but being involved and taking my family here to the local assembly. These kids are looking at us, and they're watching what you're doing on Sunday mornings, where your priorities are at. Um, and younger men and women that are here, I encourage you, you should be looking to older men and women, going to them, asking them questions, gleaning from them. You know, you, you go to the Western Assembly's home, and most people down there have it figured out because they've lived a life of mistakes. 
and why go through the same mistakes that they've gone through? But you glean from them, and you should be involved. And you, I have people today, and not only do I give advice to younger people, but I also go to older people and ask advice. I, it's, it's life. We can't have all the answers, and none of us are all-knowing. So I encourage you, this relationship that, to develop, that if you don't have somebody that is older to bounce ideas off of, to go to, to glean their wisdom, I encourage you to find them. You're lacking in that aspect of your, your Christian walk, and you need older saints to guide you along in your path and in your life's decisions and so forth, and people that are living that example. I don't, I don't go to the guy that, that's, that's hawked up in debt and, and is terrible with his money and get financial advice from him. You look for someone that, as he's listed out here, that have the characteristics and that you respect, and you go get advice from them. So, uh, so if you have financial you need financial advice? That's Rod. He's the guy to talk to. He's the financial guy. Um, but anyways, it, it's, that, that's important to identify. But the most important thing is that you have someone there to glean from and to understand. And, and when you have these issues that come up in life and questions about the scriptures, you can go to these people. I spent hours spending time with my grandpa. Uh, he's passed away, but I would go to his apartment, ask, or to his tra mobile home park, and ask him questions and more questions and so forth. And... Um, I look back in the history of men that invested themselves in me to bring me along here. I'm indebted to them. I'm indebted to the people here that invested in me. I'm indebted to, to Bill Bush for laying hands on me and saying, get up here and speak. You're going to take the next five minutes of that message. You're going to do this. What about this? And there's men that, that, that invest in you, and then now i got to invest in somebody else, and you keep passing it down, and this is but talks about in, uh, in Timothy. Last but not least, for the grace of God, verse 11, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It's the grace of God that governs our life. It's the grace of God that empowers you to live a Christian life. It's the grace of God that governs everything we do, and it's in contrary to the law and legalism, and the grace of God is by faith and trusting in God and how he deals with us. And look at what it says here. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, that this grace of God is teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we shall live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. This grace of God. Paul would say that I am what I am by the grace of God. 2 Timothy 2.1 says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And as a Christian, that was one of the hardest things for me to grasp as I'm walking after the Lord is this idea of the grace of God. See, we, we, we love legalism. We love law. Law is easy. Law says what you can and cannot do. Law is black and white. Law gives me something to, 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 to measure you against. Law says, and in my own deceit, my own pride, I think that I'm going to measure up the law, and you actually don't. Let's see, I give this example. If you take the law and you say, okay, I give 10% of my uh, earnings to the Lord, and, and boom, throw the 10% in the basket, I'm done for the week. I'm good. 90% is mine. Let's go have a party. Let's go out and live it up. The grace of God doesn't give a percentage. The grace of God demands I give it all. Not 10%, not 90%, 100%. 
The grace of God is there that when I fail, and I will fail, that the Lord's able to pick you up and to keep you walking after him. The grace of God says there's nothing I can do to take away God's love and favor. The grace of God is what we bask in and we live in. And the grace of God by no means teaches that you can live a licentious life, that you can live however you want to live. By no means does the grace of God push that. And anyone that thinks that wise, God was, or Paul would say in Romans 6, God forbid. Absolutely not. The grace of God actually empowers you to live a more holier life, a godlier life. And he brings you in and he changes you from the inside out so that now it's no longer a list of I can't do this. It's a list that I don't want to do that. It changes your way of thinking. It changes your heart. It changes your choices. That all of a sudden now I look at this and I say, that's disgusting. I don't want to do that. I don't want that in my presence. And what changed my viewpoint is because of the grace of God and his dealings and his workings with me. This grace of God is going to teach us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we shall live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And this is what the grace of God does. And furthermore, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, that he will one day return for us. And he's going to take us home, each and every believer that's in Christ Jesus. That is the hope that we have in him. We are out of time. Sorry, I've gone over a few minutes, but uh, hopefully this helps. This has been something I've been basking on meditating on and, uh, and, and encourage all of us to take someone and teach and train in the ways. And if there is issues that you got to bring to the elders, you bring to the elders. If there's stuff that it's a, it's a sin against two individuals, that's Matthew 18, and you deal with that on your own. But we're here as a body to function as a body together and to uh, live a godly life together. Let's, bow, let's close in prayer. Gracious God and Father, I just thank you so much for your word, Father. I thank you that that uh, your word guides us into all truth. And Father, each one of us, we uh, have our issues. We have our shortcomings in life. Father, we have our, our, uh, our, uh, our issues of life that, 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 that overtake us and that cause us to stumble. But Father, we just pray that we'll be there for one another, that we'll love one another, that we'll uh, live a life full of good works of serving you, that the Spirit of God will guide each and every one of us in this meeting to encourage, to exhort, and to see each other uh, come to the fullness in Christ Jesus and to be conformed to the image of Christ. Thank you for your word. Bless the rest of this day and bless tonight as David brings the message, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus we pray. Amen.